This is the Oanda Podcast. The stock markets have climbed today with investors hoping there's meaningful progress on peace talks between Russia and Ukraine. European stocks have risen around 4% while in Asia, battered markets in China and Hong Kong surged after the Chinese Vice Premier said Beijing will roll out measures to boost the Chinese economy. This is the Oanda Market Insights podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today I'm delighted to be joined live in the studio by Craig Earlham here in London. How are you doing, Craig? Really good, mate. It's like old times, isn't it? It is. Almost back to normal. Of course, um, up until uh, the last few days in China, they've had some uh, real problems with COVID and that's seen big falls in the markets. And we'll talk about why they rose today. But more generally, European stock markets have really soared with, as I said, hopes about progress on those peace talks between Russia, one of the main reasons. But there's plenty of news around today. But that is one of the main reasons as to why we're seeing markets in fine fettle. It is. And I'm really struggling to become too optimistic about this. Not because I don't want to. Obviously, we all want to. Um, But we've just heard so much over the last month. And I think I said this last week in the pod. It feels like almost everything we've heard from Vladimir Putin in particular, but also from um, other Russian officials, it's just not true. So you kind of... You, you almost view everything very sceptically that's being said. The only thing that gives me real hope is that the Ukrainian side feel, seems optimistic as well. All this talk about a Ukraine becoming almost a neutral state, uh, maintaining uh, its army and having security ties with other countries. It, this actually does feel like a solution that could appease both sides. There are still sticking points, Crimea, the Donbass region, etc., um, which could um, prove uh, problematic in terms of a deal. But it does feel like we are hopefully nearing uh, a resolution here. Uh, and I think we all have to be happy about that, while obviously equally uh, being um, very disturbed by everything that's happened over the course of the last few weeks and the almost the needless nature of it. Um, but you can see in the markets that people are buying into this rhetoric and it almost feels like the market swung enormously one way over the fear of the worst possible outcome. And now they're swinging back too aggressively, maybe with premature optimism. But it's good to be talking about optimism, I guess, because there was times over the last week or so where it just felt like this was going to go on for months and months and that the two sides were never going to come close to an agreement. So from that perspective, I think it has to. we have to view it positively and just hope that it ultimately does lead to a scenario that it, it that includes a ceasefire and Russian troops leaving Ukraine uh, because um, like I say I think the worst thing that could happen is that this just continues on and on and on um, and that's the worst for everyone not just Russia and the Ukraine. And I suppose that's had also an effect on the oil price over the last uh, two or three days hasn't it because we've seen Brent crude dipped below $100 a barrel. I think it was around about 98 last time I looked. There are other reasons for that. And there is so, as I said, so much news going on. We've got uh, the Iran uh, nuclear deal with the, I mean, I don't know if it has any connection with it at all, but the Nazardine uh, Zaghari Ratcliffe uh, released today uh, from uh, from Iran. And she's on her way back to the UK as we speak. We've got Boris Johnson in Saudi Arabia. Uh, talking to the Saudis about um, turning on the taps uh, once again. So there's that factor and this better news about Russia. So perhaps we'll see 
the oil price go back to more normal levels? Is that possible? It's possible. I think there's so many different factors driving the oil market right now. Obviously, the dominant thing is is Ukraine um, and the uh, the disruptions to Russian supply in an already extremely tight market. But as you say, there are other factors that are driving this as well. I think the lockdowns that we've seen in China, because of the rapidly uh, increasing number of cases, um, is is a is a big factor as well. Obviously, China is the one of the world's, if not the world's largest, consumer of of oil. Uh, so that's obviously having a massive uh, impact as well. Also, there's talk within there now seems to be growing talk within OPEC Plus about growing support for. Um, output increases now obviously that's just rhetoric until they actually deliver on what they can the, the, the targets so far but there are obviously certain member states within there that can actually uh, increase their output so um, that has potential as well last week we were talking about the UAE suggesting they will push uh, for higher output targets today it's the Libyan Prime Minister who uh, suggested that they support uh, higher output as well so it seems that there are growing calls now within the group for for increased production alleviating oil price pressures um, at a time when we are seeing extremely volatile markets um, so there's that as well and there's there's other things that like you say are continuing to influence the oil market the iran nuclear deal that you've already alluded to it seems like the talks this week um between uh, Iran and Russia appear to have um, uh, have addressed some of the concerns that Russia's had in relation to its its ability to trade with Iran um, as a result of the sanctions that have been imposed by the West. It seems like some of those issues have been cleared up. We do feel like we're close now to a, an actual uh, nuclear deal. We've been although this, all sides have been saying that for a number of weeks we're days away um, but it does feel like we're close on that as well that's that's around 1.3 million barrels a day of exports uh, that could be added to the market which makes a massive difference so yeah oil's now back below $100 and as long as we don't see any further escalation we start to see movements towards a, a ceasefire agreement in Ukraine then you could realistically see that now start to stabilise more around the kind of $90 mark potentially which is still high it feels low now because it almost touched $140 a barrel um, last week so that now feels like a low but that's still extremely high it's still a big headwind for the global economy but I think at this point it's a headwind we'll all take Indeed and uh, not just oil prices gas prices as well we're all looking to the next cap rate which will be set here in the UK and how that will affect ordinary working people right across the country here in the United Kingdom where they'll be presented with bills in their in their thousands which they just won't be able to afford which would be a major crisis uh, I wanted to go back to China which you mentioned um, I've been looking at the Hong Kong stock market today it rose nine percent um, that's an enormous uh, climb isn't it really and this is partially down to this um, statement from the Chinese vice premier who said that uh, Beijing plans to roll out measures to boost the Chinese economy as well as favourable policies for its capital markets. So what sort of measures are we talking about? That's where this kind of falls over a little bit. There wasn't really any specifics. There was a lot of commentary addressing a number of the concerns which people have with regards to China right now. So there, there was obviously talk about reducing, I think, the 
the um, the amount of time that that people with COVID symptoms etc have to isolate for. So that's positive in terms of the as far as the economy is concerned. But then I think the primary drive, the primary thing was to, to do with um, USADRs on, on Chinese firms. Obviously, there's been talk about potential delisting of certain stocks. Um, so we've seen a massive uh, spike as well in tech stocks because of China um, suggesting that the clamp down on the tech space is coming to an end. So we have um, as a result of a number of these different measures including what we've just spoke we've seen things like tencent jd.com etc rallying 25 percent plus uh today it seems that basically it seems like the china this feels like the kind of whatever it takes moment for beijing they've come out and they've said here's the global market's concerns about china for this year an aggressive growth target of five and a half percent um a, still an extremely strict covid lockdown policy the tech clamp down the property market which i've just haven't even mentioned there but those references to the property market as well the delisting of uh, of, of american depository receipts uh, on chinese stocks all of these issues that people have had massive concerns with which has really pummeled the chinese stock market over the course of the last few months and they've tried to address all of these things and say we're working to support the economy to support these sectors uh to to ensure there's no delisting of of the adrs all of these things uh, all in one kind of big statement and it's had a massively positive impact on the stock market today like say the big the kind of what the mario draghi famous whatever it takes moment to save the euro this feels like kind of beijing's version of that and it's had the desired effect but what they now need to do is follow through on their words with actions because at the moment it is just words that's enough to get them over the line for now but if in three months time there's not much difference and we're talking about delisting again then we'll see the stock markets uh, uh tumble quite quickly once more but at the moment it's a it's an encouraging sign I should say we're talking around about 4 p.m. UK time, midday in New York. And a little bit later, we'll see the U.S. Fed surely uh, raise interest rates by what we think is going to be 25 basis points. Tomorrow, it's the Bank of England's turn. And I think it's another nailed on, isn't it, as far as 25 basis points are concerned, possibly more. Yeah, the the timing of this pod wasn't ideal as far as the Fed is concerned. And ordinarily, I think we'd have uh, recorded this podcast at a different time, but it almost feels... But the, the, the Fed just is hugely significant, but it's probably going to be uh, maybe even arguably the third most significant thing that we're talking about today, given the moves that we have seen in Asia on the back of those Chinese statements and um, the, the pr- progress that we've seen in Ukraine, uh, which kind of is indicative of how... How, uh, how these markets are at the moment. So, yeah, we are recording this prior to the Feds, um, and by the time anyone's listening to this, it'll probably be post the Feds, so there's really not much point in talking about that. But the Bank of England is tomorrow, as you say, and that's going to be another interesting one. I think what we saw last week from the ECB was that central banks, and I think this is what we talked about last week and what I said um, I think I, I expect to be continues to be the case in the short term. I think central banks are going to ignore the commodity um, moves that we've seen, um, try to uh, continue as planned pre the uh, Russian invasion of uh, Ukraine, because ultimately, while all of this really clouds the outlook enormously and creates a, creates enormous uncertainty, they they still have an inflation problem. US inflation is at 7.9% and it's still rising, expecting to go higher again. The UK, Europe, uh, U, the euro area has record uh, levels of inflation. They still have a, a, a problem to deal with. So last week it was the ECB tapering their asset purchase, which some said was surprising, but when the market's pricing in 3, 4, 10, 
three uh, three or four 10 basis points rate hikes this year I don't see that as altogether surprising that basically lays the foundations for one or two uh, so I don't find I didn't find that surprising at all I think the Bank of England tomorrow raised interest rates for the third consecutive meeting lays the groundwork for one or two more at the next couple of meetings maybe two or three uh, more uh, over the course of the rest of this year um, and I think they kind of go as planned for now and then over the next couple of months they continue to raise rates get rates to around 1% or so and then they'll have a much ideally a much clearer outlook the, the, the commodity markets will hopefully have resettled if we do get this uh, this ceasefire between uh, Ukraine and Russia which creates that clarity in, in, in respect to that as well they'll have a better idea of what the impact of all of this has been on inflation whether it has as expected in peaked around March, April time, um, not accounting for the movements in commodities that we've, we've already seen, but underlying inflation certainly, and whether they are now starting to be on a more downward trajectory and whether that does align with their own forecasts, etc. So I think the Bank of England tomorrow does raise by 25 basis points and probably sticks to the message which we've had uh, previously that more is going to be needed in the short term while alluding to the uncertainty generated by uh, events in Eastern Europe. Especially as they were accused of being a bit late to the uh, interest rate rise party, weren't they? Because many analysts have suggested that they should have started raising rates uh, some time ago. Um, and this is more of a softly, softly approach, isn't it, really? Because raising them by another 25 basis points this time around isn't going to have that much of an effect. It's more of a message, isn't it? Because they don't want to start raising them higher even you know later on in the year when it's all a bit too late. Yeah, we don't want three consecutive 0.5% rate hikes, for example. Exactly. Uh, it, that, that would come as quite the shock to the system. Uh, but uh, I think what what we did... I mean, the Bank of England has already raised interest rates twice, and even they were accused of being late to the party. And um, they started raising in December. They'd alluded to the fact that they wanted to move in November, but were deterred by um, by Omicron, etc., and um, decided to wait until the end of the furlough scheme, etc., and all of that data. So... They were accused of being late to the party. It's amazing to think that the Fed today is going to be only starting its tightening cycle. This can be the first rate hike from the Federal Reserve when inflation's at 7.9%. Um, so, yeah, central banks have appeared late to the party, but it's easy to criticise them in hindsight, in hindsight. And I know there were there were pockets of the markets which were pricing in rate hikes prior to uh, prior to that happening, but that was only around November, December time, if I'm not mistaken. This has been a rapidly evolving picture, uh, and it's indicative of the 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 kind of crazy world that we still currently live in and the second third round effects of everything that's happening and and it still seems like this year is still incredibly uncertain in terms of the outlook even if you put the invasion to one side had that not happened i still think the outlook for this year would have been highly uncertain because we're still getting to grips with what the actual knock-on effects and the and how long-lasting this inflation uh, is going to be and central banks were always still at the optimistic end of the scale so it will be interesting to see what the um the the, the bank of england tomorrow will have to say and obviously at the time of recording what the federal reserve is going to say later because i think they'll probably stick to script in all cases um and then we may start to see a shift over the course of the next couple of months and it will be interesting to see whether it's a unanimous decision from the monetary policy committee nine to zero and if there are any dissenters yeah i can't imagine there's going to be any dissenters i think the only dissent could potentially be on the hawkish side of things maybe maybe certain members calling for a steeper rate hike uh, yeah. because inflation has got so high uh, i don't think there'll be any dissenters in the other way because i don't i think it's very difficult at this point to be arguing the case for not raising interest rates craig thanks very much for joining us today speak to you soon thank you this is the oanda podcast